All right. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome to Salt Company. My name is Michael Rhodes. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Veritas. Thanks for letting the old guy show up tonight. Um, I'm a little bit younger than you probably think I am, but the gray hair says otherwise. All right. Um, I do have a confession to make right here at the beginning. I am a recovering professional wrestling fan. All right. Uh, some of you are like, what? Recovering? Why would you recover from that? That sounds awesome, right? So when I was growing up, loved professional wrestling. That's the fake wrestling, right? Um, but that's the kind that I love. So I went to multiple professional wrestling events. Um, I was not the cool kid growing up. So I um, went to multiple events, loved to like fake professional wrestle, which is like fake, fake wrestling, right, with my friends. So we would, we, one day I went to my best friend's trampoline. And we were at his house, and this, was, this will tell you how old I am. There was no net on the trampoline. There was no padding around the springs. You just jumped on the trampoline and hoped you live, right? And so we were jumping, and we were wrestling, and all of a sudden, he, we're both in the air, and he's going to drop kick me. If you don't know what a drop kick is, jump in the air, both feet, kicks the person in the chest, all right? So I'm in midair when he's supposed to, like, fake kick me, but he actually kicks me. So I go flying backwards like this, all right? Thankfully... I don't hit the ground, right? But I actually don't hit the mat either. My head gets stuck in between the springs, like literally right in between the springs. And all of a sudden, my feet are just dangling up in the air, and I cannot get myself out. I'm completely stuck in the trampoline springs. And we're not like super old at this point. So my friend like freaks out. I'm freaking out because I'm literally stuck in the trampoline springs. He jumps down. He's not strong enough to like pry me out. And I'm like, I am literally like out of help. Like I have no way to get, I'm here forever. And so I'm stuck in these trampoline springs thinking I'm completely out of reach help. Thankfully, he gets the wise idea. I should go run, get my mom. So he runs inside, gets mom. Mom prized me out of the trampoline. Did not break my neck, did not hurt anything. But it's one of those stories that you always remember because at one point, like, man, I thought I was out of help. Like, and now like somebody came to the rescue, right? And I think for... Some of us in this room, some of you in this room, maybe that's how you feel about God. That you're beyond his help. That you're out of his reach. Now, maybe some of you in this room would like intellectually say, no, no way I'm out of his reach. No way I'm out of God's reach. He, God's, God's, his reach extends everywhere, so no way I'm out of his reach. But what about the, the night after you and your boyfriend or girlfriend went too far? And you go, I think I might be out of God's reach. Or the Saturday morning that you woke up and you're like, man, I just partied way too hard the night before. I think I went too far and I'm out of God's reach now. Maybe it's the, the moment right after you took out your phone and you looked at porn and you said, I'm done. Like, God can't love me anymore. I'm beyond his reach. Now, many of you in this room tonight would still go, no, of course I'm not out of God's reach. But maybe it's somebody that you really care about. And the choices that they're making seem to go even further than the bad choices that maybe you've made. And you're like, I, I know that I'm still within God's reach, but man, because of their decisions or because of like 
the deceptive lies they've been believing. I care deeply about them, but they may just be just past God's reach. And some of you go, well, of course not. Like, no, they're not beyond God's reach. But what about the person who's wounded you in horrible ways? That you wouldn't say, I definitely don't love this person. You might even come closer to saying, I actually hate them. Are they beyond God's mercy? And I think when we, when we think about this kind of thing, most of us would say, of course not. But what about those like countries in the world that harbor terrorists and harbor sex traffickers? Like, Surely they're beyond God's reach, right? Like, What would it take tonight for you to not just intellectually in your mind know something, but to actually recognize and truly believe that you, someone you love, or maybe even someone you hate is not out of God's reach? What would it take? What's it going to take for you tonight to truly believe this? In order to answer this question, we're going to look at a familiar person in the Bible. Even if you didn't grow up around church, we're going to talk about a person tonight that you've probably heard something about because something really crazy happened in his life, and most of us know about that part of his life. And this guy's name is Jonah, all right? Now, if I say Jonah, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? A well, all right? We're going to find out in a little bit. We don't even know if it's a well because it says a great fish, but I don't know many fish that are big enough to swallow a man, right? So this guy gets swallowed by a fish, and then three days later, he's still alive, and the fish pukes him out on shore, right? That's what we know about this guy named Jonah. Now, when we think of the story of Jonah and this whole series that we're in, if you're new with us, we're in this series called Connecting the Dots where we're trying to see Jesus through Old Testament true stories, through people that we know in the Older Testament, and now we begin to see pictures of Jesus through those people, all right? So my hope tonight is that in this bigger story of Jonah, because we're actually going to walk through the whole story of him. We've got like four chapters in the Bible. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, we're going to be here two hours. I promise. We're going to move fast through it. Um, so if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Jonah. All right. We're in, you, you, it's probably one of those you're going to use the table of contents as well, and that's totally cool. So Jonah, if you've got a phone, just flip there. Um, we are going to move fast, but my hope is that you see more than just a crazy story of a man and a fish that got swallowed by a fish. And my hope is that you see how merciful our God really is. All right? So let's get moving. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So there's this guy named Jonah, and he's a prophet. Now, if any of you attend Sunday mornings here at Veritas, and I would encourage you to do that if you don't, but you're here at church on a Sunday morning. We just started a different prophet last Sunday, the prophet of Haggai, all right? I don't know why they all have weird names, but um, Haggai and Jonah, sorry if your name's Jonah, you don't have a weird name, it's just, <laughs> whoops. Um, so here you've got Jonah, he's a prophet. Now, when we think of prophets, most of the time we think of like fortune telling, like, oh, they told the future. That's like a really small piece 
of being a prophet in the, in the Bible where you're actually telling about some unforeseen future event. The other big portion of a prophet in the Bible was to just speak on behalf of God, like they were a messenger of God speaking on behalf of God to a certain group of people. And there was actually, most of the time, they were making pretty strong accusations against these people. And they were saying, hey, you need to repent and turn from your sin. And if you don't do this, there's going to be a significant set of consequences that follow. So they brought great warning and great hope all at the same time. So that's what God's called Jonah to do, to be his messenger to a group of people and tell them what's going on in their lives and what's going to happen if they don't repent. All right. So he says, Jonah, I want you to go to where? Say it louder. Nineveh, all right? I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, what we're going to find out later through this book, it's a great city. It's a vast city. It's really big. It's an evil and violent city. So it is probably... Is there anybody that can turn this, like, volume down, this microphone? I feel like it's, like, crazy echo. Does it sound like it's echoing out there? Okay. Yeah, Javin, that would be great. Thanks, man. Um, So... You get Nineveh, evil, violent, wicked city. It's the capital of this big region called Assyria. None of you care about that right now, but it's just a, a, a bad city, all right? Who were actually enemies to Jonah's people. And it's a, it's a rough place. I want to read you something that was inscribed on a pillar found in this region about this time in Nineveh. It said, an Assyrian ruler boasted, Nobles I flayed, 3,000 captives I burned with fire. I left not one hostage alive. I cut off the hands and feet of some. I cut off the noses, ears, and fingers of others. The eyes of numerous soldiers I put out, maidens I burned as a holocaust. Like, this is the people. Hey, Jonah, I need you to go deliver this message to those people. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see what. So he's like, and what does he want him to do? I want you to call out the evil that they've brought against God. So hold up, God. You want me to go to those people who are really evil and say, hey, you're really evil and you're bringing evil against my God. How well is that going to go? This is his response, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So what is Jonah's response? Yeah, I ain't about that life. No, I'm going a different direction. Like, I'm going somewhere totally different than Nineveh. But wait, like, God, you're a prophet of God. And you're going a different direction. Like, God told you to do this. Don't all the prophets, like, obey? Not Jonah. He goes, and he goes down to this place called Joppa. Because he doesn't want to go to the evil place, Nineveh. It would be like God telling you, hey, next summer, summer teams, we're going to Afghanistan. You go home to mom and dad. Hey, God's told me to go to Afghanistan. Yeah, mom and dad aren't going to be too happy with that about that right hey we're going in the next summer we're going to north korea right like you're like no no i'm not about that life right like there's some crazy stuff happening there there's some evil happening there they're not kind to christians you want me to go tell them how 
unkind they are? No, I'm not about that. So he goes, and he goes to Joppa, which none of us, like, where's Joppa, right? Pretend that you're in Cedar Rapids. It would be like God calling us to go to Cincinnati, Ohio, all right? About 500 miles away, and go to Cincinnati. Well, instead of going to Cincinnati, you go and you start driving to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, all right? And then it says that he sets sail. He gets on this ship that's going to Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction. So God wants you to go to Cincinnati. You go to Oklahoma City first, and then you get on a plane ride, and you're trying to go to Columbia, South America. That's the distance that we're talking about, how far a prophet messenger of God has now fled from the Lord, what the Lord's asked him to do. Man, it's a, it's a tough spot that Jonah's in right now. I don't want to be a part of this. And so he runs really, really, really far away. Let's see what God does. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was threatened to break up. It said the Lord hurled a great wind. The Lord caused a crazy storm while he's on this ship with a bunch of sailors. And it's really, really bad. Anybody ever been on a boat in the middle of a really bad storm? I did one time, and it's scary. It's terrifying. And it, I was on like a small lake at the time, trying to get back to, um, to shore as quickly as possible. Like, this guy is stuck in this ship in the middle of the sea in this crazy, crazy storm. Verses 5 and 6. Then the mariners, the, the sailors, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. So these are pagan sailors. He's on this boat with a bunch of pagans, all right? And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and it laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came in and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So these guys are terrified because the storm's so bad, they walk down into the ship and they go, what are you doing? Like, you're asleep. There's a crazy storm going on. We're calling out to any God, the God of the sea, the God of the wind, whoever we can call out to, somebody's got to save us. Please, dude, get up. Do something about it. Call out to whoever your God is. Maybe he'll spare us. So then what they do is they cast lots. In the Bible, casting lots was kind of like flipping a coin or drawing straws. We don't need to do that. There's never a point in the Bible where it tells us we have to do that to figure out God's will. Um, we have God's will because we have his complete word now, so we don't have to do those kind of things. But these pagan sailors say, let's cast lots and figure out which one of us is the bad one here that needs to do something about this. Well, the lot falls onto Jonah. So they know something's going on with Jonah. Something's really bad. Hey, dude, you got to tell us who you are. What's happened in your life that's caused this kind of storm? Because this is unlike anything we've ever seen. So then verses 9 and 10. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Which is the most ironic thing ever, right? Like, oh yes, I fear the Lord. But you just ran 3,000 miles away. Do you really fear the Lord? Like so many of us in, the li in this life would go, yes, like if we are going to sing a worship song, we fear the Lord, we tremble at Him, but yet we do whatever we want in life. He's going, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to Him, what is this that you have done? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They're like, what have you done? What have you done? And they're fearful because they know they can see it. They're experiencing that Jonah's God has great power. And the only way to get them out of this mess is for his God to do something. So they beg, like, Jonah, what do we do? We've got, you've got to help us. What do we do? And Jonah says, just throw me overboard. They're like, no, that means you're going to die if we throw You're in the middle of a crazy storm. We can't just leave. So they start rowing harder, and the storm gets worse. And then in verse 14, it says this, Therefore they called out to God, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They're like, please, God. Have mercy on our souls. Like, we're going to throw this guy in the water, but like, please, like, don't have his blood on our hands because we know that he's going to die. They beg for mercy. Now, we mentioned mercy already a few times tonight. What do we mean by mercy? So some of you know the definition of grace would be getting something that you don't deserve, whereas mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So grace, you get something that you don't deserve. Mercy, you're not getting something that you do deserve. Here's a guy in Jonah who has fled and been completely disobedient to his God. What does he deserve? He deserves death from a holy, righteous God. You just don't get to do that kind of stuff. And so they're like, God, please, please show mercy to us. So they throw him overboard, verse 15 and 16. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Immediately, God calms the storm. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. These are people that don't believe in the one true God. All of a sudden, they're like, whoa, this God's different than all these other gods we've been pursuing. He can stop a storm just like that. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These pagan guys recognize who God is. They believe, and they start to worship. And immediately, what do you see? The mercy of God. The mercy of God on a bunch of people that don't believe in God, that were crying out to a bunch of other gods, and now because of their belief, because of His, He's showing them mercy. It's a beautiful thing. But what about Jonah? We know the whole story in this verse right here, in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Like, we know that's the whole story of Jonah, right? That's about all you get from that. The whole thing that we know is in that one verse, basically. And so God says go. Jonah says no. But guys, God will still accomplish his plan. And if it takes using pagan sailors, a great wind, and now a great fish, he will do his work. Because that's our God. You cannot outrun the mercy of God. I need you to tell yourself that in your mind right now. I cannot outrun the mercy of God. No matter what you did last weekend, you can't outrun the mercy of God. Because that's one of the most encouraging things you can possibly think of. A God that has control over storms, you can't outrun His mercy. Jonah couldn't do it. The sailors couldn't do it. So 
In chapter 2, what you have is Jonah stuck in the belly of this great fish. And we're not going to read the first several verses here, but he's just going, I'm done. I'm, I'm literally inside a fish. I cannot get out of here. There's nothing I can do. Like, I'm in a desperate situation. He's completely desperate. I'm done. I've disobeyed God. Now he's going to kill me. He saved me from the storm, but I'm going to die in the middle of this fish. Then verses 7 and 9, this is what he prays. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So in the middle of this fish, in all his desperation, he goes, God, salvation only belongs to you. Like, I can't run anywhere else right now. You spared me then, like, salvation belongs to you. So is God going to show Jonah mercy when he recognizes what's going on? He comes to his senses like, oh, I'm desperate. The only place I can go is God. What is he going to do? Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Guys, that is crazy mercy. Jonah ran so far away. Not only does he get rescued from a storm, but now he's rescued from the inside of a fish that he's lived there for three days. Like, we don't just make up this kind of crazy story. Like, this is a, a true story of a man who ran from God and he can't outrun the mercy of God. So this first chapter is like he's terribly disobedient. He recognizes it. He begins to repent of that. He wasn't out of God's reach. Let's see what happens in verse 3, or chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. That sounds familiar, doesn't it, right? So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in the breath. So it took three days to walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Like, that's going to get you killed somewhere, right? Like, hey, in forty days you're going to be destroyed. Yeah, get out. Like, and, and it's not going to be that nice. Like, get out, right? There's going to be a lot of other words attached to it, right? Um, so, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So God's word comes to Jonah a second time. After he's done all these crazy things, after he's run so far, this is where grace shows up. Mercy, God should have killed him. He spared his life. Now, he's going to keep giving him his word again? Wait a second. You didn't do my mission the first time. God goes, I'm going to give you another shot at it. Not because of anything you did, because you did terrible stuff, but because of my grace. But because of my grace. God keeps pursuing Jonah. God keeps pursuing Nineveh. Jonah obeys, and he shares this message. So what happens in verses 5 through 9? And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called out for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Now that's weird, right? That was just a sign of grieving. That's how they would go through grieving and mourning. Put on sackcloth, cloth, sit in ashes, total just the way that they're going to grieve something that's going on in their lives. All right. 
or 7. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd, herd nor flock taste anything. Let, not them, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and, who, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. An evil, violent people who are enemies to the God's people have now said, all the way to the king, oh my goodness, what have we done? They actually listen to God. The violent, evil people listen to God, and they're like, well, our only hope is that God would just relent of this. Please, God, show us mercy. Please. Show us mercy. And then verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Not only was Jonah not out of the reach of God's grasp, not only were pagan sailors not out of the reach of God's grasp, now a whole city, evil, violent city of Nineveh, is shown the mercy of God. It's amazing. So Jonah disobeys chapter 1. He confesses chapter 2. He's obedient chapter 3. And you're like, man, this story keeps getting better and better and better. And check out what happens in chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What? Why? Hold up. So, Jonah, you're mad because God just showed those people mercy. You're mad at God, the one who just saved you from a storm and allowed a big fish to swallow you for three days and kept you alive and allowed you to keep doing his mission. You're mad at God for showing them mercy? Man, that's just messed up, right? That's just wrong. But he's like, wait a second. These are our enemies, God. I'm sure that's what's going through his mind, right? These people hate your people, God. And now you're going to extend mercy to these people, enemies? Check out verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So we thought from the beginning, the reason he fled from Nineveh, did not go to Nineveh initially, was because the people were so evil. But why did he actually flee? Because he's like, God, you're gracious. You're merciful. I knew what you were going to do. Yep, you were going to show these people mercy. That's why I ran the other direction. What if God showed mercy to somebody in your life that hurt you really, really bad? Would you be okay with it? Because that's exactly what's happening here. Somebody, these people who are against God, God shows mercy to, and Jonah goes, I knew that's what you were going to do, God. I knew it. I knew you were going to be gracious and show mercy and relent and be loving toward them. <laughs> he's a prophet, remember? Like, of course you know that. But he's not living it out. Verse 3, so this is how Jonah responds. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
What are you doing, Jonah? You could have died a long time ago, but God spared your life. And now you're saying, I mean, if you're going to let them live, just let me die. It's not worth living. It's not worth living anymore. And this is how God responds, verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? What does that mean? Jonah, is it okay for you to be angry right now? Is it really okay for you to be angry about all this? Really? So Jonah starts pouting. He gets really mad. He goes outside the city. He goes, sets up kind of camp under a tent. He's there under the tent and in the shade. And he's going to sit back and he's going to watch, just hoping that God actually doesn't do what he's going to say he's going to do and show mercy, but actually like pour out his wrath on the city of Nineveh. And Jonah's just going to sit back on the top of the hill going, yep, that's what I knew was going to happen. That's what I wanted to happen, actually. He knew the opposite was going to happen, but that's what he wanted. He wanted to sit back and watch and see that city destroyed. Now, verses 6 through 8. There's a little, little strange thing that happens here. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Here's God pouring out more grace, more mercy, Jonah's up on this side of this mountain. He's pouting, he's pouting, he's pouting, he's pouting, he's pouting. And, jo- and God goes, let me just send a plant. I'm going to let it grow in one day, and I'm going to just cover him with shade. Because that's how our God works. He's so loving and kind. It says, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose... God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. I'm like, what? what is wrong with this guy? Right? What is wrong with this guy? So what's God doing? God appoints this plant. Hey, grow up. I want you to bring comfort to him. But it's only going to last for a day. And then I'm going to bring a worm. It's going to eat the plant. And then a really hot wind's going to blow. And the Lord's going to do all this stuff just to prove his point, right? And Jonah, what does he do again? He's so pleased because he's comforted in the moment. And all of a sudden he goes, I'd rather die. Kill me now. It's over. I don't want to live anymore. If this is how you're going to act, God. If this is the way that you act, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. So verses 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Is it really okay for you to be angry about the plant, Jonah? Come on. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. (laughs) And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You didn't do anything to make that plant grow. Nor did you make it grow, which came into, into being in a night and perished in a night. Wait, like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why are you mad about that? And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And that's how the book of Jonah ends. Like, wait, wait, where's the nice ribbon, like, tied on this? Where's the bow? Like, that's how it ends? With Jonah wanting to die and God proving his point. You keep whining and you're pouting because I'm showing mercy. I've showed mercy to you and you're still pouting because I'm showing mercy to other people. 
and he shows mercy to the city of Nineveh, the evil, violent people. And we have no idea what happened to Jonah. You're like, what is, what is the point of this whole thing, right? So Jonah runs away from God's plan, but God still accomplishes his plan. And how does he accomplish his plan? I'm going to run back through a couple things. They're not going to be on screen. In chapter 1, it says, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. In verse 17 of chapter 1, And the Lord appointed a great fish. In chapter 2, verse 10, And he spoke to the fish. In 4, 6, And the Lord appointed a plant. In verse 7, God appointed a worm. In verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. What I want you to see right here is God's sovereignty. Big theological word that has massive effects on our lives if you get it. It's this idea is that God is an unstoppable ruling king. And he's in control of everything. And he has authority to do whatever he wants. And he's personally present with his people in all those things. A ruling king who has control over everything, who has authority to do what he wants, but he's present with his people in all those things. That's what we're talking about when it comes to God's sovereignty. God caused a great wind. God caused, spoke to a fish. He appointed a fish. He appointed a worm and a plant and a great wind. Guys, God was at work throughout this whole story showing off his sovereign, saving mercy. He was at work every step of the way. What comfort should that bring in our own lives when we go through really hard times? When you're in the midst of a really dark, painful circumstance, and you're like, why, God, why are you doing this? You have no idea what he's doing in the bigger picture. You see this much. We see, not you, we. We see this much of the story. And God's going, I'm working so much more out because when those sailors are there and there's this crazy storm, oh my goodness, we're about to die. We got to do whatever. Why are we in this position? Why are we here? And God's going, because I'm trying to save Nineveh. And somebody was disobedient, so now I'm going to use a storm. Wait, I'm in the belly of a fish. What in the world is this about? I'm trying to show my mercy to Nineveh. It's God just pouring out His mercy over and over and over. He's a good God. But when we get in less than ideal situations in our lives, what do we do? We pout and we whine and we complain why, God, why did you put me in this situation? I'd rather die. When God's saying, if you only knew the whole picture, trust me. I'm showing you so much mercy right now. Trust me. God sovereignly uses all means necessary to extend his saving mercy to the world. What extent did God go to in this story? Again, Disobedient prophet, pagan sailor, storm, fish, plant, worm, wind, all to accomplish his purposes. And here we sit and we think we're beyond God's mercy. Here we sit, oh man, that person that I love is beyond God's mercy. Oh, those people that I hate, they must be beyond God's mercy. I actually hope they're beyond God's mercy. Those countries, they'll never be reached by the gospel. They're beyond God's mercy. 
So company, we've got to repent of that. We will never be beyond God's reach. Ever, ever, ever. He will use whatever to get our attention. Because this is what I want you to know. The world, including you, is never beyond the reach of God's saving mercy. The world, including you. Yes, you that did whatever you did last night. Whatever you did earlier today. You are never beyond the reach of God's saving mercy. That's good news. That's what we learn from this. But it's not just an excuse for us to just live however we want. But this is a call to remember how God rescued you. It's a call not to get angry when the wicked are shown mercy. It's a call to obey our sovereign king when he speaks. And it's a call to hope that God will reach those you love. And guys, this is a call for you to get serious about the mission of God. Because here's the beautiful thing. He's inviting all of you into that mission. Are we going to say, no, I'd rather run the other way. I don't want to have that conversation with my roommate. I don't want to have that conversation with my classmate. I don't want to have that conversation with my coworker. And he's going, are you kidding? Do you remember when you were dead in your sins and trespasses? And I showed you mercy? And carry my mercy. Carry my mercy. But some of you are going, God... Like, can you just show me that this is actually a true thing? I know that whole Jonah story, like, I guess it proves that. But can you, like, show me really? And this is where the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament and Jesus comes in. And we're almost done here. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, this is Jesus. And he's interacting with these religious rulers called the Pharisees and these experts in the law. And this is what he says. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now this is Jesus, who's been doing all kinds of miracles around them all the time. Hey, I've turned water into wine. I'm making like people who couldn't walk, walk again. I'm making the blind see. And they're going, can you just show us a sign? Can you just prove to us that this is true? He's like, Seems like that's what I've been doing, right? So here's how he answered them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Oh, like Jesus talking about Jonah here, right? Like here's the connection. He's like, you're seeking after a sign. I'm not going to give you a sign. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, who is Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So it's going, hey, you remember that story of Jonah and Nineveh? They repented, and you knew how evil they were? You're like the Jewish religious leaders. You knew how, you, you like are with Jonah in this story, right? So you didn't want God to show mercy to those people. And he's going, actually, those people of Nineveh, they're going to rise up in judgment over you. Like if you're a Jewish religious leader at this time, like, Oh, you, no, you didn't say that to me. Are you, you can't compare us to Nineveh. And you're actually saying we're worse than the people from Nineveh? It says, for they repented of the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
the whole point that Jesus is trying to make is, you're looking for me to do another miracle for you. I'm not going to keep doing miracles just to prove my point. I got one that I'm going to do for you, and it's going to be the greatest miracle ever done. I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Yeah, Jonah was in the belly of a fist for three days. I'm going to actually be dead for three days, and I'm going to rise. And he goes, that's going to be the greatest sign. And if you don't get that, yeah, the people of Nineveh are going to condemn you. And this is amazing news. Amazing news. You want a sign that this is true, that God's mercy actually does extend to everybody? The only sign that Jesus was going to give these people was this sign of Jonah. And the sign was that Jesus was going to die, buried for three days, and come back to life. Nineveh recognized God's work through Jonah and repented. Guys, do you recognize God's work through Jesus tonight and do the same? Will you do the same? So how do we know God's reach can extend to the nations with his saving mercy? What extent did God go to? This. God will do whatever it takes, including killing his son, to extend his saving mercy to the nations. Are you beyond God's reach? No. How can you know that? Because he went as far as to murder his own son so that you might be within his reach. That's good news. Like that should leave every one of you. Maybe you were sitting going, yes, I feel so ashamed for what I've done in the past. And now to know that God would go to that extent to have his own son die for those sins, guys. And not to just pay for those sins, but we see this sign of Jonah that he's going to rise so that you can live a new life, not buried in shame anymore. What are you going to do with it, guys? What are you going to do with it? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Because of his mercy. You had no hope. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, and he showed you mercy. And then the last verse we're going to read is Romans eight thirty-five through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, and I'm going to add, or a fish, or a storm, or pagan sailors, or pornography, or sex with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or getting wasted the night before. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And this is talking about people who believe in Jesus. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are not beyond God's reach. The people that you care for are not beyond God's reach. And the worst nations in the world are not beyond God's reach. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Repent. Receive this sign of the resurrection and believe it. For many of you tonight, you need to rejoice. As we sing here, you need to rejoice at God's saving mercy that reached out to you when you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And then for many of you, you need to consider what it would look like to run with God's mercy. Run with God's mercy to your neighbors. Run with God's mercy to your friends, 
Run with God's mercy to the ends of the earth because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. God, thank you. You are such a good God. Thank you for the story of Jonah. Thanks for sparing his life. Thanks for sparing the sailors' lives. Thanks for sparing Nineveh's lives. And God, thank you for sparing our lives. May we celebrate that tonight. May we live differently because of your mercy. May we be on mission, not because we're supposed to, but because you've shown us mercy, God. Pray all this in Christ's name.